This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Welcome to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole, and you are tuned into myself and Dr. Woolwine continuing our board review series. And if you have not already, tell a friend about the podcast. Follow us on social media at Nailed It Ortho at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and eventually TikTok. We're going to work on making a TikTok. I just thought about that. But again, we're going to continue to talk about some hand conditions. Uh, this time we'll talk a little bit more kind of about rheumatoid risk. You might even get into some deputrins. So, uh, Enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. This is what I was talking about with the grandma hands. What is a super <laughs> nodule? Grandma hands. Oh, man. So that's pretty much any prominence on the DIP. And this is going to be seen in patients with DIP arthritis. So again, that's going to be OA and you're looking at the DIP and that's going to be a hypertense nodule. You can also, patients that have these DIP arthritis can also have mucous cysts. And if that is what they have, those typically can get IND'd. But again, a hypertense nodule is going to be a brony prominence on the DIP, which is also going to be seen in DIP arthritis. We just talked about PRP arthritis and we talked about how to put the long and ring fingers if they have some good stuff bone stock, you may be able to do an arthroplasty versus fusing. Uh, what are some treatment options for DIP arthritis? Yeah, DIP arthritis is far more reliable with an arthrodesis in about 10 to 20 degrees of flexion, just because it does restore a good pinch bone stock and good pinch strength. You can consider arthroplasty, but I think most surgeons are probably doing more of an arthrodesis at the DIP than they are in arthroplasty. Moving more to the carpal bones, what is avascular necrosis of the scaphoid called? Yeah, Pressier's disease. I never heard of it until reading up, I guess, writing the notes and stuff for this. Never heard of it. I heard of the next question, but it's called Pressier's, Pricer or Pressier's disease. That's what AVN of the scaphoid is called. What about AVN of the lunate? What's that called? Yeah, that's Keenbox. And that's what you're going to hear more of is, is the Keenbox disease and the AVN of the lunate. And what are some of the treatment options for these AVN issues of the scaphoid and lunate? Yeah, so you can do a, a core decompression, which is similar to what we're talking about in our hips when we talked about avian of the hips. You can also do a vascularized bone graft, which again is very similar towards the hips that we were talking about before. But with the hand, you can do a vascular vascularized bone graft. You can do the four or five ECA is going to be for Kindbox. That's just a, a graft that you can use. You can also do a proximal row carpectomy or scaphoid excision infusion, which are those treatment options that we talked about earlier when we talked about like a slack or a snack wrist. And then you can also do a total wrist fusion. What are some, I guess, what are some symptoms of DRUJ arthritis? Yeah, these are going to be the patients that have chronic pain, mostly with supination and pronation of the wrist, just because that's where the DRUJ 
or that's what the DRUJ is responsible for is that supination and pronation. They may have some either instability of the wrist or hesitation with resisted supination and pronation. Um, first is you want to try non-op, so splinting and injections, avoidance of aggravating hand positions. But if you do have to operate, you can try a distal ulna resection. You can try a hemi-resection with interposition. You can do an ulnar head arthroplasty. However, that can be associated with instability as it's difficult to reconstruct the volar and dorsal DRUJ ligaments. But they, there's also a fusion, and I can't remember the name of it, but essentially you fuse the distal ulna to the radius, but then you cut the distal ulna proximal to that. So the wrist is still allowed to rotate, but they don't have the DRUJ arthritis type pain. And then some of the more systemic sort of patients like rheumatoid, what are the tendons most likely to rupture in patients with rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah. So that's going to be the EDQ. So these are going to be mostly extensor tendons again, like, like you just said. So it's going to be the EDQ and the EDC, and this is called Val Jackson syndrome. Again, so seeing in these patients with rheumatoid, they're more likely to get extensor tendon rupture as well as tenosynovitis. Now what flexor tendons are likely to be injured in patients with rheumatoid arthritis? These are going to be the PL or the index FDP, which is Mannerfeld syndrome. And then what you're going to see is that scaphotrapezoid osteophyte and arthritis in the wrist. There's a volar STT osteophyte, which is going to cause that eventual attenuation, weakening of the tendon, and then a rupture of either the FPL or the index FDP. And then what is caput ulna syndrome? Yeah, so this is when you have dorsal subluxation of the ulna, or you can also get volar subluxation of the carpus. And what this does is it will contribute to extensor tendon injuries. To me, you just, you just think about you're just almost putting those tendons on a little bit more stretch or irritating those tendons, the extensor tendons a little bit more. So again, Capet ulna syndrome, you have dorsal subluxation of the ulna, and this leads to some extensor tendon injuries. You can treat these with tendon transfers, depending on what tendon is injured. If it's an EDQ, you're going to treat it with an EIP to EDQ transfer or an EDQ to EDC piggyback transfer. But again, this is going to be after non-operative and medical treatment has failed. Because ideally with these rheumatoids, you want to treat the medical condition. You want to get them started on their DMARDs and, and rheumatoid medications as, as soon as you can. That is kaput ulna syndrome. Now, what deformity is seen in the wrist in patients with rheumatoid? The patients, when they come into clinic, they're going to be in supination. You may see a palmar-based dislocation and then radial devi deviation and ulnar translation. So their wrists are, I mean, as you kind of hold your own wrist like this, put it in kind of supination and radial deviation and ulnar translation, it's going to depend on the severity on what you are going to do for these patients, which is either a arthrodesis, which is either partial through whichever joints are most affected versus a total arthrodesis, which is kind of 
pancarpal arthrodesis and you're fixing essentially the metacarpals to the radial and ulnar shaft or arthroplasty depending on the overall stability. And what are some of these treatment options for these kind of wrist abnormalities or wrist manifestations of rheumatoid arthritis? This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about ROCK. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, ROCK covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to ROCK content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Again, you typically want to start off for our early treatment. You want to get them medically treated again. So start on the rheumatoid medications. That's going to be number one. Once all that has failed, surgical options, you can have your ECRL to ECU transfer. And what that'll do is that helps fix the radial deviation that you just talked about. And then you can also do a partial fusion, maybe like a radial lunate fusion or something. And patients that have these late manifestations, there's not that many great options for them. Really, you're looking at kind of total wrist fusion or some type of arthroplasty, total wrist arthroplasty, which I've never seen a wrist arthroplasty before, but sounds like an interesting procedure. Now, what are some manifestations of rheumatoid arthritis seen at the MCP joint? These are going to be the kind of more classic RA pictures that you've seen where you get ulnar drift and extensor subluxation, collateral ligament injury on the radial side, which allows the fingers to drift even more ulnar. You'll get synovitis. Then as the fingers go more ulnar, the wrist starts to go more radial, and then you'll see some volar plate disruption and attenuation. And these patients, I treated one patient in residency for bilateral hand deformities, and she was a young but severely affected rheumatoid patient with severe ulnar deviation and we did uh, silicone arthroplasties of every MCP joint on her right hand mm. Gave her a few months to rehab it. She said that she loved her hand because it looked more normal. It functioned a bit more normal. And then we did the same thing on her left hand. You can successfully treat some of these rheumatoid arthritis patients, but they have to also be very tightly medically managed because at, at some point, no matter what you do surgically, if the rheumatoid arthritis is not medically managed, then it will eventually win and kind of either disrupt any surgery that they've had or prevent healing from any surgery that you do. Moving on, what are some of the structures that extend the PIP joint? Yeah, so it's going to be your lumbricals, your interosseous muscle, and as well as your central slip. We, we talked about that way back when we talked about a little bit of hand anatomy. That being said, what does the swan neck deformity do to? The swan neck deformity, you're going to get volar plate attenuation and dorsal subluxation of the lateral bands. And what that's going to, what that's going to do is that's going to put the PIP into hyperextension 
And then the DIP will tend to drift in some degree of flexion, despite them trying to fully extend their finger. They're going to have some extensor lag at the DIP, and it's because of that dorsal subluxation of the lateral bands. What structure normally prevents the dorsal subluxation of the lateral bands? Yep, it's going to be the transverse retinacular ligament. It attaches the volar plate to the lateral bands. So when you have injuries to this, you'll get that swan neck deformity. Just like we just said, you'll have PIP hyperextension and extensor lag at the DIP. So the transverse retinacular ligament attaches a volar plate to the lateral bands, preventing dorsal subluxation of the lateral bands. When you have dorsal, when you have dorsal subluxation of the lateral bands, then eventually you may get that swan neck deformity, which is hyperextension of the PIP and extensor lag of the DIP. Now, what is the treatment for swan neck deformity? It depends on if it is rigid versus flexible. Sometimes these can be treated non-operatively in a what's called a double ring splint. And what that does is it can prevent hyperextension of the PIP by basically you use a ring to recreate the volar plate and then the lateral bands. Uh, because they're still attached to the volar plate, they're not fully ripped off, at least in kind of more chronic deformities. You recreate that and then the lateral bands can then go back to their normal position and the finger functions normally. But those are not always treated with non-operative management. So even for some of these flexible ones, if the splinting does not work, you can do a central slip tenotomy with an intrinsic release, which can help improve that PIP hyperextension. You can also do an FDS tenodesis. And then for these rigid ones, that's when you're going to do a dorsal capsular release of the PIP and a lateral band mobilization. You can consider an extensor tenolysis and collateral release in the patients that are kind of significantly swan neck deformed and all of their soft tissues are kind of in bad condition. They may have either the rheumatoid or they may have some other systemic disease that's really kind of causing their soft tissues to not either hold sutures well or not be managed well through surgery. You can also do a bony arthrodesis of those patients. And opposite of a swan neck deformity, what is a boutonniere deformity? Yeah, so boutonniere deformity, that's when you're going to have flexion of your PIP and your DIP is going to be hyperextended. And this is going to be due to a central slip and a triangular ligament injury, which is going to lead of volar subluxation of the of the lateral bands when the PIP flexes. So the lateral bands are going to volarly sublux when the PIP flexes. And this is going to give you again that boutonniere deformity where you have PIP flexion and DIP hyperextension. And again, what structure normally prevents volar subluxation of the lateral bands during PIP flexion? That is going to be the triangular ligament. And when you look at a anatomy a uh, picture or dissection of a finger that uh, triangular ligament is uh, dorsal and it the lateral bands attach to it. And once that triangular ligament is disrupted, that's when you get the volar subluxation of the lateral bands. And then it's going to pull that PIP into flexion and that DIP into hyperextension. And then 
Next is the kind of a really frustrating diagnosis for patients, and it's Dupuytren's. What is Dupuytren's? Yeah, so Dupuytren's really what it is. You have abnormal thickening of the pal- of the palmar fascia beneath the skin, and so what that does is going to it leads to con- contractures about the hand. Some of the things that cause this is you know, these patients will have like high amounts of fibroblasts, and they'll have contractile myofibroblasts. So I think. That may be, that's one of the key things to know. And the putrin disease, you'll have those contractile myofibro, myofibroblasts. Uh, and, and sometimes this typically affects the ulnar digits just slightly more than the radial digits. But again, the putrin disease is when you're going to have abnormal thickening of the palmar fascia beneath the skin. And so what type of collagen is the most prevalent in the extracellular membrane uh, in the putrin disease? That is going to be type 3 collagen. And I mean, we'll probably talk about it a little bit, but that's what the kind of collagenase injections are uh, targeting is that type three collagen is what you want to disrupt to lead to more digit extension and finger excursion. As always, we hope that you all are learning things and enjoying listening to us talk and hopefully that you all are gaining some type of knowledge from these types of episodes. If you have not already, please go and leave us a review in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, however you listen to us, that would help us out a lot and tell one person about the podcast. That would just help us grow. And we all like to grow. (laughs) All right, everybody, until next time.